Good evening. It's lovely to see you and welcome back. I think this is talk number five as we make our way through Mark's gospel together <clears throat> with a special emphasis on looking out for tips for discipleship. And it's quite early on in this series and I'm learning, I don't know what you're learning, but I'm learning quite a lot in particular about how to modify what we're up to to fit the time frame. And uh, we're going to pick up the story from where we left off in Mark chapter 1, verse 38. But before we get to that, I've got a question for you. And it's this. I wonder what you're like at interviews. Not interviewing other people, but actually being interviewed. And it might be quite some time since you last had an interview. But when I was working in a church in Cambridge, which I was obviously until quite recently, I found that it was a very good conversation opener to ask the students, because obviously they successfully negotiated their interview or they wouldn't have been at Cambridge, to ask them what they could remember about their entrance interview. And actually some of the questions they were asked were pretty useless in terms of skills for, for life quite interesting if you had a kind of quirky sense of humor which you're discovering I do have so let me try a couple of the questions out on you and you can think how you might have answered them so there you are sat down as a young whatever 19 20 year old and you're being asked this is a zebra a white animal with black stripes or a black animal with white stripes hmm puzzling hey or this one, try this. If you're cycling in the rain, do you get more wet or less wet the faster you pedal? I haven't a clue. But actually, one of my favorite interview stories doesn't come from a university interview. It actually comes, true story, about someone who's applying to join a law firm. And if you've ever sat on an interview panel doing the interviewing all day, you know that it's pretty tiring. And after a while, almost quite boring. You have to kind of will yourself to pay attention. And they had these set questions that they would ask all the candidates. And most of the questions were uh, testing out their legal expertise. And I don't know if this particular couple of people doing the interviews did good cop, bad cop, but they're kind of trick question if you like because it it came in from left field came from a blind spot in the middle of a helter skelter series of questions about legal matters they threw in this question what's the purpose of your life and most of the people being interviewed i'm told in that tranche most of them sort of fumbled dropped the ball looked around awkwardly and and were so puzzled by that and it got to a place where those doing the interviewing were almost waiting to see the candidate uh, stumble. So they got to this next interview and the candidate sat down and was going all right. And they shot this fiery question, what's the purpose of your life? And without even missing a heartbeat or a blink, they heard the reply, the purpose of my life is to go to heaven and to take as many people as I can with me. And the two of them doing the interview were absolutely shell-shocked. And I don't know whether it was the answer itself or the fact that the person even had an answer that most shocked them. 
But in the little passage that we're going to look at now, it becomes very clear what emerges is that Jesus is clear about the purpose of his life. Let's read from verse 35, shall we? And I know this overlaps with where we left off last time, but it's the easiest way of making sense of what we're looking at. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. And so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And really what I want to focus on in our short time now is that question of purpose. It was a surprising move to Peter and to his friends who tracked Jesus down that day. It was surprising that Jesus didn't want to return from where he'd come from, where the whole town had been gathered around and there was a kind of healing revival going on. Everyone's looking for you. Implication, for goodness sake, why don't you come to where we've just been? But look carefully at this answer in verse 38. Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach that also. That is why I've come. And so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And actually that last bit is a very short sentence, but it's been suggested he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. He probably spent months doing that. But look at this again. I want to focus on this phrase. That's why I've come. And I've got a rather uncomfortable question for us. Have we ever asked God what the purpose is? His purpose for our life? Because the obvious path might not necessarily be the right path. And you won't know until you know God's purpose. And know this for sure. And disciples need to know this. God has made us on purpose with a purpose and it's unique to each one of us and the reason i know that is because each one of us is uniquely made if we don't stop to ask god his purpose for our life i've got bad news for us we stand every chance of being like a hamster running on a hamster wheel you know, one of the mysteries to me in life is, how does a hamster know what to do with a hamster wheel? If you stick a hamster in a cage and you put a hamster wheel in the cage, and before you can blink, the hamster's on it and it runs for dear life all day, every day of its life. I don't know how it knows what to do, but it, it does that. And I remember hearing from a friend of mine, he said that one day in his busy life, he had breakfast, said goodbye to the wife, said goodbye to the children, went off to work. And in the hall, he passed the hamster cage and he saw this hamster running on the wheel. And he thought to himself, you are a daft animal spending all day running hard on that wheel. And when he got back in the evening, absolutely exhausted from his work, he looked at the hamster and he thought, my, you and I are a bit similar. Uh, we spend all day running around in circles every day. 
And just running hard isn't necessarily a guarantee we're running in the right direction. We need to know the purpose. And there's another danger. If we, if we don't ask God and pause to think, what's his purpose in my life and for my life? It's not just that we'll be running hard, but we could be running in the wrong direction. I remember hearing uh, someone give their testimony, a businessman, and his story was pretty much he was very, very ambitious. And everything he wanted to happen did happen. And he got to the top of the ladder. And I don't think it was an original phrase, but he used it. He said, I got to the top of a ladder and it was simply leaning on the wrong wall. Many years ago, uh, there was a man, a German theologian called Helmut Thielicke. And uh, he preached a lot towards the end of his life in a church called St. Michael's Cathedral in Hamburg. He died in 1986. And one of the things that he used to say regularly was this, God will have to write in red ink beneath the story of many lives, a remarkable performance, lively, interesting, fascinating, but you missed the whole point. And by that time, the story will have ended and cannot be rewritten. So what does it mean, really, to ask God for his purpose over our lives? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean, just to reassure you. It, it seriously doesn't mean that all roads lead to ordination. Far from it. Proclaiming the kingdom of God, being a signpost for God's kingdom, is something we all do in all walks of life. And I want to reassure you that, just like you, I've met Christians living out their life's purpose very faithfully in all sorts of jobs and oftentimes not in any job. I was just thinking about it. I've met Christians making a difference who worked in garages. I've met Christian dentists, doctors, accountants, soldiers, teachers, retired people, academics, politicians, lawyers, decorators, carpenters, plumbers, musicians, actors, and so on and so on. What did they all have in common? They weren't living out their purpose in their life by accident. They were very intentional. And that's the only way we can live out God's purpose in our life, is a life that has been fully submitted to pleasing God. And you might say to me, well, of course I do that naturally. Well, no, you don't because it doesn't come naturally, it comes supernaturally. And it's actually amazingly challenging to try and do this. I think there's huge pressure on every single one of us to live our lives for almost any and every other purpose other than pleasing God. And as I look around me and um, as you look around you, it's pretty obvious what drives most people to earn enough money, say, to sustain a certain standard of living, to get a job that one's parents or one's peers will approve of and give you status, to strive for fame or to make a good impression, those kind of things. And I'm not saying, I'm being careful here, I don't want to be misunderstood, I'm not saying there's anything remotely wrong with aspiring to any of these things, but we have to ask ourselves, is it compatible with God's purpose for my life? And it might be, or it might not be. Let me tell you an incident, a true story, 
that brings home the dilemma. It's not an altogether comfortable story. And it, it happened in a church that I worked in previously. And it happened when a parent was collecting their teenage child at the end of a youth group meeting. Now that parent, as it happened, was a very fully committed member of the church. So far, so good. And they joined the church specifically because they wanted their children to benefit from the excellent youth work. Again, so far, so good. And they came very, very regularly to the church. They were meticulous and committed. And again, so far, so good. So it was all the more surprising that the youth worker at the end of an evening should overhear a conversation that went sort of like this, somewhere along the lines, the parent saying to the child, now, when you grow up, you must get a proper job, not like a church youth worker. Ouch, ouch. How do you think the youth worker felt about that? And it was all the more ironic because of what I've said, that the parents specifically came to the church because they so wanted their children to benefit from good leadership and a good youth work. But you can see the conflict of interest playing out, can't you? A life to the full is going to be a life lived to please God. And that's going to, in each of our cases, make the very best use of the skills and the character and experiences and the giftings that God has given you. Rick Warren, who has a, a, a knack of putting things into acronyms, ha has said you need to work out your shape, where S stands for spiritual gifts, H stands for your heart, A stands for your ability, P stands for your personality, and E stands for experience. It's an interesting concept. As I reflected on what I was saying tonight, I thought, oh, this is gonna be quite threatening perhaps for some of us. You might not have stopped and thought, what's your purpose in my life? So I want to reassure you, it's never too early to ask this question and it's never too late to ask this question. And if we find that we've already got a job and it really is simply unrealistic that that's gonna change, I think the idea is, is sound. Bloom where you're planted is good advice. But let me give this health warning. Working in any environment or living in any environment, a life dedicated to pleasing God on purpose and making it your purpose will definitely not please others around you who don't share this purpose it's very predictable that you'll run into opposition. And I'm majoring all these points just simply from the fact that because Jesus knew what his purpose was, he was able to do and knew it was right to do what was not the least bit obvious to Peter. He had to go to new villages. He had to spread the good news of a kingdom. It simply wouldn't have been right to turn round on his tracks and enjoy a few months of basking in a healing revival or a preaching revival where he'd been. But before I end, which I'm going to do in just about a minute, let's just look <clears throat> at verse 38 a bit more carefully because I want to draw out a couple of points before we move on. We'll come to question time. So look at verse 38 and 39, because I've sometimes heard these verses mangled, I think, in my humble opinion. When Jesus says, I must go somewhere else to nearby villages 
so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. And then he continues. So he travels throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. I've sometimes heard that interpreted as if, as if Jesus was simply a preacher in the sense that we understand preaching, that he stood at the front of a synagogue, let's say, and he uh, exposited the scriptures. But the word here for preach is actually much, much bigger than simply what we call preaching. It really is saying I must proclaim the kingdom. I must herald the kingdom. I must share the kingdom. It wasn't just speaking notes or talking thoughts from Old Testament scripture. And you see that in verse 39. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And I want us just to make a very careful notice of this, that what he did combined word and deed. Jesus' words and his works belong together. I, I began with uh, some exam questions and another exam question that people used to be asked in Cambridge in the theological faculty was this. Was Jesus a preacher who did miracles or a miracle worker who preached? And it, it's a tricksy question. And actually, like a lot of these questions, rather daft at the heart, because, of course, he was not one or the other. He was both. And you find, and it's worth keeping our eye out for this as we go forward with this gospel, we find he really does combine the two. It's a words and works package. And that's going to swing round to be incredibly important to us as we follow him, because he sends us out to do exactly what he did. So here are my questions for us to discuss in, in groups. Guy's going to um, give them to you in print form, but I'll read them to you uh, to give you the heads up. Can you describe to the group someone you know or have known whose life was like a beacon for Christ because they were so evidently at living to please him. And how did this show? And incidentally, have you thought about emailing them to thank them? Question two, how does the fact you follow Christ impact your everyday life these days? Are there any particular pinch points, e.g. particular challenges? And are there any particular encouragements? And lastly, if you've got time, during coronavirus times, when everyone's experiencing peculiar pressures, how is your faith and your church encouraging and strengthening you? And how are you strengthening others?